You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Amen. Take one minute, say hi to someone sitting right next to you, then sit down. Let's get into God's word. Help me know you are here. Praise Jesus. All right. We have been running a teaching series all month on... um, We'll be running a teaching series all month on the person of Jesus. We've been exploring who he is from a doctrinal standpoint. We can have an emotional response to Christ. In fact, we must. We must have an emotional response to him. Jesus must command your highest desires. But beyond commanding your highest desires, we ought to know him as he would have us know him. Our knowledge of Jesus must go beyond emotions. It must be logical and well detailed out in your brain. You should be able to give a defense for the hope that you have in you. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do we believe Jesus is the Son of God? What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? What does it mean that Jesus died for your sins? What does it mean that he was raised from the dead? Was he really raised from the dead? What does the implication of the resurrection have on our lives? Or what is the implication of the resurrection on our lives? What what is expected of us when we know these things? There was a man, I I can't remember who, but he wasn't a preacher. I think he was um, a a theologian. He used to be an atheist and he converted to um, Christianity after, actually he tried to debunk the Christian faith and it ended up in him joining the Christian faith. I have, I have found that most people who go on an objective quest to debunk the Christian faith, can I come down? Most people who go on an objective quest to debunk the Christian faith usually end up um, aligning with the Christian faith because we have so much objective evidence for what we claim to believe as Christians. And this man said, the resurrection of Jesus is the singular, most important piece of information in all of human history. It is more important than the launch codes of nuclear weapons anywhere. Because you see, reasoning with him, nuclear weapons have the ability to annihilate or decimate entire countries. And that's scary. 
But the resurrection of Jesus goes beyond the physical. When I say physical, I'm not even talking about between physical and spiritual realm. I'm talking about it goes beyond the here and now to the later. If there was a man who lived on this earth, walked the earth, and claimed to be God, and preached that there is a life after death, and he said, I will prove that there is a life after death by dying and coming back. And he died, and, and empirically we can prove that he died and came back. <sighs> it changes the narrative. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It changes the narrative. It, it, it would be like a man who comes and says, time travel is possible. Not only is it possible, it's possible now. So you say, prove to me that time travel is possible now. And so he hops into a machine and then gets into tomorrow and comes back and tells you, this is what is going to happen tomorrow. I've seen it. Now, you wake up, you're skeptical because anybody can make such a claim. Is that correct? You wake up the next day and everything he said is happening as he said it. That information has the potential to change the face of science. Are you with me? Has the potential to face um, change the face, not just science, but metaphysics also. <laughs> so, if you have a man who said, my death and resurrection will prove the existence of an afterlife, and he died, and without any external aid, came back to life, and walked the surface of this earth for 50 days after. So people saw him everywhere. Ha. You know, the, the execution of Jesus was public. So, it was the headline of the newspapers the next day after he died. Are you with me? I mean, the man died yesterday. It was trending when he died. If he was, if he was in our time, he would be the number one trending thing on every social media platform. You have news channels carrying his execution because it was a whole thing. Israel went to Golgotha to witness the execution of Jesus. This wasn't the execution of any other common criminal. This was the execution of the man who had held the government to ransom you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the king himself. He had held these people to ransom for months, years even. Preached so many things. He was popular. Right? And then a lot of people believed in him as the Messiah. So his execution wouldn't have been something that was done hush-hush. Just die and go away. People witnessed him die. You had hordes of people. You've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, right? Hordes of people who were standing on the roadside watching him as he dragged his cross from near the palace of um, um, Herod the king or Pilate, Pilate the governor. And he dragged it all the way to Golgotha. Now, if you, if you, maybe you don't understand Jewish, um, Israel's geographical mapping. The king's palace 
would usually be close to the mountains at the back of the city because that's like the safest position. Um, assailants cannot just easily scale the mountains to get to them. So they would usually move the king in. So that was where they tried Jesus. Golgotha, the place of skulls, was outside of Jerusalem. Are you with me? So Jesus walked through Jerusalem carrying his cross, having been beaten with the crown of thorns on his head, dragging his cross across the entire city. And he got to the outer parts of Jerusalem where he was finally killed. It wasn't a private event. It was a public execution. If there was any such, do you know that the other two people that died with him did not suffer the same thing? They probably transported them in a black maria, quote-unquote, to where, he was, where they were going to die, and then brought them out in chains and hung them to die. No, Jesus dragged this cross from wherever the cross was made through the city to Golgotha. So, imagine the shock of these same people who witnessed him die when they now see him four days after walking the same streets. A lot of historians recorded it. That you, when you read the books of the writings of Eusebius, Josephus, Flavius, Flavi, something, um, Irenaeus, and the early church fathers, that is the first century historians and church fathers, you would hear them talk about how there was, it was a well-known fact that Jesus walked the earth after his resurrection. Like, you know how ridiculous it would be if somebody comes and tells you that there was no such president as President Buhari, you say, are you winding me? So I, I felt the effect of his presidency. I was there. You would find it ridiculous if anyone starts to make a claim like, Buhari never existed. No such president as Buhari. It's the same way the Jews, even the ones that didn't believe in him as Messiah, would find it ridiculous if you said, Jesus was not resurrected from the dead. <laughs> There's a movie based on a true life story um, called Case for Christ. You should watch it if you haven't. It's written by a man, he's still alive, Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist, married to his beautiful wife. They were both atheists at the time. The wife hit a rough patch, found Christ, and it, it, it broke his heart. Because he felt like the woman had betrayed him. How dare you find Christ? So as an investigative journalist, he went and started making inquiries like any investigator would do, objectively trying to determine if Christ is real. He started with, there's no such person. Quickly debunked it. You have historical records of him, of Jesus Christ. Jesus, um, the fact of Jesus' presence on the earth is as real as yours. <laughs> right? He was a man like you. <laughs> Are you with me? Ah. So he said, okay, okay, okay. He was real. He was a prophet. He had teachings. But he was not God. So he went to meet a theologian. No, an atheist, a fellow atheist like him, I think. And that one said, see, if you want to really break the Christian, the back of the Christians, dispute the resurrection. You can dispute any other thing, but as long as the resurrection holds true, Christianity is valid. All right. And so he starts with trying to dispute the resurrection. 
and he reads in the New Testament. And this is why these things exist in the Bible, by the way. He reads in the New Testament that when Jesus was raised from the dead, 500 people saw him. I think that's 1 Corinthians 15. 500 people saw him at once. <laughs> that is, he held a meeting and 500 people were in attendance in that meeting. The one time, are you with me? If you can successfully hypnotize 500 people to see the same thing and hear the same thing, it will be a bigger miracle than the resurrection itself. It takes more of God's power to do that <laughs> than to raise the dead. And after much objective investigation, actually it wasn't objective, it was biased. He was trying to disprove it. But after much objective investigation, he ended up saying, you know what? I, I think when he finally gave up was he was still going around and then the the guy asked him how, how when will enough proof be your way why am i saying all of this i'm saying all of this because i want you as a christian to know that your faith your religion is not unfounded you are not just a christian because you're, you were born into a christian home thank god you were born into a christian home are you with me? Thank God you were born into a Christian home. But if you were not born into a Christian home, you will still need Jesus. Just like you need him now. Are you with me? Yeah. Even if you weren't born into a Christian home, you still need Christ as much as you need him now. Jesus Christ changed everything. He changed everything. He changed the narrative. He changed how we see life. Almost every religion worth its salt promises you a life after this death, after this one. Some people claim that there is a way you can live in this world and live a life separate from this life. Some religions claim that. Almost every other one will promise you when you die there's somewhere you go to. A state of peace that you attain to. But none of these religions proved in themselves the validity of what they were claiming. Like I would always say, do you ever like to say, if a man promises you a shirt, you check the one he's wearing. Do you have the capacity to give me a shirt? You can't be bare-chested and be promising me a shirt. Clothe yourself first. So, if anybody promises you eternal life, check the one they are wearing. Jesus changed everything. And that's why we're taking time to study on who he is. Because there will always be people with the agenda to gainsay your faith. They would want to, you know, people just naturally think that Christians are illogical people. I don't blame some of them. Because for some reason, conversations like this one that used to be common in the early church are no longer common. We hardly have teachings on who Jesus is. How is it that Jesus is the son of God and God at the same time? In the early church, a child in kindergarten who just learns to speak will be able to answer you. Today, you have pastors who don't know the answer to that question. My pastor told the story of one time he went out with his wife. 
So you know how you usually just drive your wife somewhere, she wants to buy something, so you park, wait for her in the car, she goes in. So she goes into this store, and there are these two men evangelizing to this young girl. <laughs> and then she runs out, and she comes to Pastor come and see something. So he runs in. And as at the time he ran in, the two men were saying to themselves, she has a point. What was going on? They were trying to evangelize to her. And the girl brought out a dictionary. And with a dictionary, was able to convince them against what they came to evangelize. Now, you may say, well, because what they were saying was illogical. No, they didn't know what they were saying. If you don't have a firm command of the knowledge you think you have, anybody can bamboozle you. Yes, sir. Is that true? Yes. Oh. They didn't know what they were saying. So they were just talking and talking and talking. And the, the, this lady just sat down and asked some questions. And boom, they had no answer. And as at the time the man got in there, they were saying, ah, she's making a point. So you went to evangelize, they evangelized you. So he starts, so he, everybody sit down. All right, let's start from the beginning again. Plus the evangelist, too, plus the one that needs to be saved. Let's get all of you up to speed. Praise the Lord. It is important as Christians that we wield the right knowledge of who Christ is. Teachings like this one, non-negotiable. They are more important than any other teaching we do in the body of Christ. If you don't know Christ, you'll be deceived. You'll be deceived. Many false Christs will arise. That's what Jesus promised us. False messiahs. You know, it's because many people don't know Christ. That's why they give in to it works. That it works theology. You know that it works for me, so it must be God. <laughs> ah. For a few years now, there's one portion of scripture that has been my musing. It just sometimes I think about it and I just laugh. You have two apostles of God walking through a market. No, the Bible says that if we're not careful, even the devil will be disguised as an angel of light. So the devil doesn't come to people in a black cloth wearing horns, red makeup on his face. No. <laughs> what the devil does is that he attempts to look more like Jesus than Jesus himself. It's true. You see all those teachings where you try to condemn things that Jesus condemned and then people will not tell you Jesus was love. Jesus did not condemn anybody. You lie. <laughs> there was a time Herod <laughs> summoned Jesus and Jesus said to his disciples, go and tell that fox. <laughs> go and tell that fox. Another time, he was speaking to Pharisees. The Pharisees asked him a question. He looked at them and said, you are like your father the devil. You know, did you ever read about that, Jesus? The one that walked into a temple, picked up a cane <laughs> and flogged everybody out of the temple and said, my father's house should be a house of prayer, but you have turned it to a den of thieves. The interesting thing is they were the ones inside the temple, so they were the thieves he was speaking about. So Jesus never condemned anyone. Oh, no, he did. <laughs> he 
he did openly. <laughs> but the devil would try to look more like Jesus than Jesus. So, and how he does it is he will take a portion of who Jesus is, remove another important part, then over-exaggerate this part. Mm, are you with me? Mm. You over-exaggerate this part. It's what he has always... That's how temptation works. Over-exaggerating one thing above everything. Over-exaggerating a part of the whole. That's how the devil tempts. You, when the devil is tempting people with sexual lust, it's as if in that moment, that's the only thing their minds can think about. When he tempts you with food, you are fasting. On a normal day, you forget to eat. Is that true? You would have, you look at the time, <laughs> it's 11, it's 12, I've not eaten. Eh, I'm not hungry. And you keep going till like 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. When you, some people, 6. You now finally say, ah, let me just eat, I've not eaten anything today. And it's not like your stomach is paining you. It's like, ah, where's this headache from? Ah, I've not eaten, let me go and eat something. No, but the day you are fasting, the moment you wake up like this, that's when you remember breakfast is the most important meal of the day. The devil will find a way to amplify that thing above every other thing. So he comes to Eve. Has God said you shouldn't eat of the tree, any tree? Uh, Eve said the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Say, ha, ha, ha. God knows that the day you eat it, you will be like him. Knowing good and evil. <laughs> do you realize that at the time the devil was saying this to Eve there was no evil so there was no point for Eve to know the difference between good and evil there was nothing to differentiate it was all good but he successfully blinded her eyes to that and also blinded her eyes to the fact that if you obey me you are disobeying God and in obeying me, you are choosing my life. Therefore, introducing that evil to mankind. Ah, uh, no, he blinded that side to Eve. <laughs> That's what he does. He comes before Jesus, and you are hungry, turn stone to bread. Seems harmless, though, isn't it? Except when you obey me, <laughs> you are disobeying God. When you seek to prove a point to me, you are walking in the flesh and not in faith. You're not following the leading of God. You're you just doing things because you can't. That's pride. So th that's what the devil does. He tries to amplify. He tries to look more like Jesus than Jesus. That's why you must know Jesus. Discernment is seldom about descending between or differentiating between good and bad or true and lie. Discernment is more times about differentiating between true and almost true. That's where, because <laughs> nobody sees trash and puts in their mouth direct. No sane person. Are you with me? Many times the trash will be packaged in a nice way. I've forgotten who I was having this conversation with. The person was drinking soda. I said, I don't drink soda. Said, uh, no, no, no. What happened? I remember now. The person bought Pepsi. 
and then was shaking the Pepsi to let go of the gas. So I said, why are you doing that? And the person says, so that you'll be healthier. I'm like, oof. <laughs> oof. So that it will be healthier. So, <laughs> I explained to the person, the gas in Pepsi is CO2. Has no effect on your body. It's just gas. CO2. They pass it through the thing to keep it um, fizzy and therefore refreshing. It's the same thing when you have, you've seen soda water. Soda water is water that they passed gas through. So it's a, it's a scientific process. So she said, how is the Pepsi therefore dangerous? So it's the sugar, my dear. It's the sugar. If, um, I think someone, I think it was my wife that now remarked that people have said that if you put the amount of sugar in a bottle of Pepsi in your tea and drink it, you throw up. Yeah, you, you. <laughs> but when they put inside a bottle of Pepsi, I put inside a fridge, she Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> Consume it and enjoy your life. <laughs> like, see, I think they said is it 11 cubes or 16 cubes or 20 something cubes? 20 something cubes. Let's just agree on 20 cubes. I don't think any one of you here, no matter how much you love sugar, will be making tea. Then you will now sit down and count 20 cubes of sugar. One, two, three, four. To 20. Then pack it and put it inside your tea. Ah! Look for Jedi Jedi. But they give you a bottle of Pepsi. Ah, very, try the cold one like this. Ah! When uh, one of my favorite pastimes then was to open a bottle of Coke, very cold one, then drink it in a rush. That pain. Ah! You savvy? Repent, sir. Repent. You are, ki- you are killing yourself. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so, and so, we are discerning because the devil knows how to package his lies. In this generation, discernment is not between black and white. It's white and gray. White and almost gray. <laughs> You know, it says it's a gray area, and we need to differentiate. We we don't build our we don't make our decisions and build our decision making structure on gray areas. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. As a Christian, let your whites be white, let your black be black. When the gray areas come, you will now treat it as a gray area kind of conversation. Are you with me? For instance, let me touch one sensitive one. Abortion. Let your white. I can notice that the room is very quiet. <laughs> Say, Pastor, Pastor, what if the woman is raped? <laughs> Statistics have shown that eight to nine out of ten people who go to an abortion clinic for an abortion went there because they had unprotected sex. They, they knew what they were doing. They had unprotected sex, got pregnant, then went to kill the baby. 
8 to 9. The remaining 1 to 2 at the end is where you have um, quadriplegic, uh, maybe quadriplegic babies, is a, a rape incidents, or the, the babies endangering the life of the mother. That's one to two. It is ridiculous, ridiculous, I tell you, that when the conversation comes up, we start trying to set the boundaries from the one to two. We're building a society that does not believe in consequences anymore. You, you went, you slept with a man. Or as a man, you slept with a woman. Or there was no protection. And you were planning, like, you do realize that when you sleep with a person without protection, you are planning to have a child. <laughs> you, that's what you are doing. You are planning that, okay, we want to have a child. And then, you know... Tear it away. Say, okay, now ah, I got pregnant by accident. It wasn't by it wasn't by accident. <laughs> it was very deliberate. <laughs> so I fell pregnant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry if this offends you, but I'm telling you the truth, and you know it. I have, as a pastor, I've had to preside like over a case where the lady was raped. And she got pregnant. And when she asked me, what should I do? I said, see, I understand your situation. And while as a pastor, I cannot directly tell you to go and commit an abortion. But if that's the choice you make, I will not condemn you for it. This is not, nobody should force you to always live with the reminder of your trauma. I understand that. But if it was that, it's not rape, it's that you carried yourself and went. Ah, no. You carried that, you will like children. <laughs> you will like children. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> hmm. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 13. So I, I want to complete last week's teaching. All right. Remember last week we couldn't finish our teaching. Um, the presence of God hit the room strong last week. We spent some good time worshiping and just talking to God. Um, so today, I, want, I wanted, actually the plan today was, the plan today was to complete the teaching and then start today's teaching, but then the Lord took us in this direction. So now, we are back. The deity of Jesus. <laughs> we started talking about the deity of Jesus last week. And we talked about um, reasons why we say Jesus is God. Alright? Number one was prophecy. How many remember? Prophecy. We have prophecies, detailed prophecies, highlighting um, the deity of Jesus. Unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. Are you with me? The Mighty God. Are you with me? Good. So Jesus was to be called the Mighty God. All right. And then the second reason was Jesus himself called himself God. Or Jesus called himself God. 
Jesus called himself God. Philip said, show us the Father. Jesus said, have I been with you for so long and you have not seen the Father? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Are you with me? Another time, Jesus was speaking. He said, before Abraham, I am. That is, I am the I am that Abraham stood before. Number three, Jesus acted like God. Jesus acted like God. So, um, a man was sick, he was brought in. People believed he was sick because of his sins. Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees said, who are you? What gives you the right or the power to forgive sins? And then Jesus said, well, well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. He looked at the man and said, take your bed and walk. In healing the man, he proved that he had the power to forgive sins. Something that the Pharisees said only God had the right to do. Are you with me? So he acted like God. And number four, Jesus never refused worship. Jesus never refused worship. You find in the Bible that both angels and spirits alike always refused worship. If you worshipped an angel, the angel would say, I'm only a servant from the Most High. If you worshipped um, an apostle, in fact, the one time they worshipped Paul and Barnabas as um, Zeus and Hermes, I think. Good. Paul and Barnabas were worshipped as these two gods. And then Paul tore his clothes and said, look at me, I'm just a man like you. All right, don't, don't worship me. Him alone must we serve. But at many times, Jesus was worshipped. One woman came, broke um, a jar of perfume, poured it on his leg and was crying tears. And Jesus never said, oh no, stop that, please go back. You know, you know how uncomfortable we feel when people start to whine us? And Jesus didn't have that. Jesus didn't have that. And there's some people that can, they can whine you to discomfort. Say, Twali Baba. Jesus didn't feel any of that. He never refused worship. Are you with me? So now that we've established the deity of Jesus, what must our response be? Which is the other part of the teaching, which is, I think I'll just speak about that today. And then next week, I'll start from the final part of the teaching. What must our response be? Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every, every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and of things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, not only in my presence, but um, now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So verse 9 to 11 establishes the deity and lordship of Jesus. Are we together? Verse 9 to 11 establishes the deity and lordship of Jesus. God has given him a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on the earth, of things under the earth. And every tongue must confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So therefore, 
as you have obeyed this doctrine in my presence, do it much more in my absence. Walk out your salvation. Notice he didn't say walk for your salvation. He says walk out your salvation, which means that there is a salvation that is inside of you. The indwelling presence of the Spirit is the salvation in you. Now you need to walk out that salvation. Let us see the salvation that you've received. Are you with me? And why can I say that? Because it is God that is working in you to will, that is to desire, and to do of his good pleasure. So what is our response, our first response to the deity of Jesus? Say consecration. consecration. Good. Our first response to the deity of Jesus is consecration. To be set apart. There is a demand that commitment to anybody places on you. Are you with me? There's a demand. If you are in a relationship, a dating relationship, for instance, you are a guy in a dating relationship. You and this girl, you were in a talking stage. You were talking to other girls as well because it's a talking stage. But the moment the both of you moved forward beyond the talking stage and commitments were made, it becomes something else if you are still talking to those other girls. Is that correct? And vice versa. <laughs> and vice versa. Vice versa. All right. So there is a demand of consecration that commitment to anybody places on you. When we glean Jesus as holy, as set apart, as Lord in our lives, there is a way his lordship must influence our lifestyle. We can tell, are you with me? We can tell that Jesus has influenced your lifestyle when we see the way you behave. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So you walk out that salvation that is in you. Now that I have seen Jesus as Lord, as God, I will walk out this salvation that is. He, his Lordship, one of the things that His Lordship afforded me is the salvation experience. His deity made it possible for Him to die. Are you with me? I've taught you that before. He, he could die as man because he was God first. He was God put on flesh. And then as flesh, he died. His deity made it possible for him to die. His death made it possible for me to live. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Yes, it made it possible for me to live. And so the life I live now is no longer mine. I must live it for the one who died and gave his life for me. 1 Corinthians 15. Is it 1 Corinthians 15? 2 Corinthians 5, 15. That's the one. And that he died, that they which live, 2 Corinthians 5, 15, please. 
and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. When we glean and discover the deity and lordship of Christ, our response is consecration. That's the first response. What would you do for a man who gives up his most vital organs to save you? What would you do for that person? Some of you, you have such a heart of gratitude for your parents because you've seen the sacrifices they made to get you to where you are today. Am I saying the truth? You have such a heart of gratitude for them. If you have that amount of gratitude for people who sacrificed and gave money, how much more one who sacrificed his life for you? That he died for all. That they which live must, not, uh, must henceforth no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and rose again. We must all come to that henceforth moment. Say, Jesus is Lord. Do you know what it means when you say Jesus is Lord? You know, many of us, when we became born again, the prayer that led us to the salvation experience was, Father, I, I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. Do you know what Lord means? When he says jump, you don't negotiate. You say how high. Are you with me? Where he says to go, you will go. Where he says to stop, you will stop. That's what Lord means. Lifestyle changes. Um, someone said, rightly so, that Christianity is a miracle of changed desires. Lifestyle changes must be evident in your Christian walk. Consecration must be seen in your life. Some things I can't say anymore. Do you hear what I'm saying? It must be evident that Christ commands your desires. Every now and again on social media, you open your social media app, Twitter, Facebook, they'll ask you what's happening. That's what they write there. Where you're supposed to start typing. What's happening or what's on your mind, something like that. And it is never Christ. I feel like there's a way, who else has noticed that? It's never Christ. Christ is never the answer to that question. What's on your mind? Something else. What's on your mind? I don't like how these people like, mm -mm. I'm not saying you can't have ordinary conversations. But I'm saying that your Christianity must stand out. It must, it must reflect in your, in your speech. It must reflect in the way you say things. We will know, see, when you see a married man that is committed to his wife, you, there are some things you just begin to tell. You will know. When you tell the man, can we come to your house? I'll ask my wife first. He's not asking his wife because uh, if, he, if, you, if he brings you to the house without his wife's knowledge, you'll beat him. No, he's not doing it out of fear of punishment. It is her house too. If she doesn't want you in the house, she doesn't want you in the house. Sorry. <laughs> do you, are, are you with me? When you see a child that has been trained well, the child doesn't just do things and tell the parents later. It doesn't. 
you go out in the morning, you come back in the night by 11. Where are you coming from? Ah. I quickly say, let me just branch it back down. But I'm back, I'm back. Am I not here? I'm here and I'm safe. <laughs> you tell them first, hello, I'm going. But many of us do things without God's approval or opinion. Not even approval now, opinion. It's God, I'm doing it. Jesus is my Lord and personal Savior. He can't bridle your tongue. And that's the first place. The Bible says that the tongue is the rudder of the body. Yes, you know what the rudder is? It's a small, it's like the steering for your ship. Where it turns to is where the ship will go to. Ah, the tongue gives direction to the body. If the Holy Ghost cannot tame your tongue as a Christian, you don't know how to swallow your anger. You don't know how to sit down and just hmm, calm it down first before you start talking. So it's the way it's on my heart is the way I will say it. Jesus is my Lord and personal Savior. We need to repent from actions like that. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Your response to the Lordship of Christ is consecration. Yes, sir. I think that we have perpetrated a lie when it comes to spiritual growth. We think everything is about prayer. We think everything is about praying. The most important thing when it comes to spiritual growth. See things like this thing I'm saying. They rank higher. If you don't let the Holy Ghost influence your, your desires, your prayer will always be amiss. You will always pray amiss. You will always... So when James is writing and he says... You ask and you receive not because you ask to spend on your desires. He's not saying that asking to spend on your desires is wrong. He's saying your desires are wrong. He goes on and says, from whence cometh wars and strifes and jealousy. Is it not your desires? That's what you are praying to sponsor. There are some prayers that if God answers, he will be sponsoring rebellion. He will be sponsoring rebellion. See, let me tell you a fact. There are some people that no matter how many pastors lay hands on them, they won't do well in life. Why? They are not in the good. They are not where God wants them to be. And God answering those prayers will be sponsoring their rebellion. So you just keep quiet. God cannot fight himself now. He'll keep quiet and be watching you. And be giving you, every now and again, he will pop up in your heart and remind you, do you remember that time when I said you should go to this place? You will just remember it. You say, ah, there was a time that, ah, I've come too far. You have not. Part of your responsibility, your response to the deity of Jesus is, is to cons- submission. Submission. It's not everything you see you respond to. Somebody says something online. Before the Holy Ghost can even tell you, don't say anything. You have already finished talking. You must weigh in on every subject. You must have a, uh-uh! You must have an opinion on everything. Sometimes, have your opinion, just keep it in your heart and keep quiet. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Do you know that silence, say you have a full company meeting. Have you noticed that many times during those your company meetings, your boss will finish hearing from everyone. There's always one person that he will not say, we've not heard from you. What do you have to say on this matter? The person will not open mouth. 
The person will now talk. It's not be as if I make his own points. Say, ah, wisdom won't finish him. No, he was quiet. A wise man once said nothing. It's not every time you drop quotes, you always you have a response for me. Like I feel like, oh, keep quiet. <laughs> Let the Holy Ghost bridle your tongue. And, and bridling your tongue is not always with respect to insult. To. Sometimes some comments you want to make is virtue signaling. You are looking for who will look at you like a good person. So you want to type it and the Holy Ghost will say, are you trying to impress men or me? Which one is it? Oh yeah, delete, delete it. Don't type it. If Jesus is Lord over your life, it must show in the things you do. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, it must show in the things you do, in the way you dress, in the type of music you listen to. Yes, sir. <laughs> How can some things be appetizing to you? <laughs> we know the beat is nice. But is it beat you are listening to alone? Remember what I just said about how the devil knows how very well to disguise and feed you nonsense. He won't... If... Do you know that many of the lyrics of the songs you listen to, if they write it out on a sheet of paper and say, say it to yourself, you're just saying, God forbid, throw out. <laughs> Am I saying the truth or not? One of, one of the songs, one line from the song says, you don't want to be the enemy of the demon that went in me. Yeah, that's a line from Godzilla by Eminem. Mm, you don't want to be the enemy Oh, no, no, the one they used in Venom, the song they used in Venom, ah, that one. You don't want to be the enemy of the demon that went. You have children that have, they have rap book. They've learned that full rap. If they say, oh, I read this thing now, don't put music. Just read it to yourself. Like the way we used to do confessions. Say, confess positively over your life. When you get to, you don't want to be the enemy, you say, God forbid, demon did not enter me in the name of Jesus. But you sing it. Jesus is Lord over my life. (laughs) Praise the Lord. During the week, my mentor, he said something. He said, don't don't sing songs in church like you miss the world. Ah, it's true. Have Have Christian songs finished? That we will now take a secular song. Now come and put Christian lyrics on top. Have, have we finished with Christian songs? Have, we have not finished though. Melody have not finished. So we can write our own song. Yes, no, you want to. So now in church, they are singing the, the Christian, Christianized version of the secular song. But all you are hearing is the secular song. We've brought it into the body of Christ. If Jesus is Lord over your life, it must tell in your actions, in your choices, who you want to date. Say, Christian boys are so boring. Mm. Be careful what you wish for. Because that drama you're looking for, ah, Ah, the day, when you see it like this, you'll be asking, Now, maybe this. <laughs> Jesus must influence your actions. 
Are you with me? Yes, sir. Must influence not just your actions, your decisions also. He must change your desires. You know one of the ways you can tell that you are growing as a Christian is your desires. Remember that song you used to sing in um, Sunday school? Great change since I was born again. The things I used to do, I do them no more. It's true. It's one of the ways you can tell that, ah, I'm growing. Because if it's me before that you said this thing to now, ah, thank God for salvation. Have you, sometimes you just genuinely have thank God for salvation moments. Aha. Thank God for salvation. Sometimes it's thank God for a good local church. Ah. Because there are times when you want to do things, you hear my voice in your head. I pray that the next time you want to tweet nonsense, you will hear that my... When you want to start, I feel like... Ah, Foko said we should keep quiet. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Say, Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. Say, he's Lord over my body. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Yet not I. Um, he says, um, yet I live. Yet not I, but the life that I live, I live by the faith in the Son of God. The life I live is a life of faith. When you read the book of Hebrews, you see by faith Abraham did this. By faith Noah did this. There is a part of our faith that is actionable. Are you with me? So don't let it be the story of your life. That you were born, you went to school, you got married and died. Not one impact for the gospel. Not one faith walk recorded. Nobody's asking you to plant a church or a local assembly. No. But when will we start to see your faith story being written? And anybody God leads, he leads them into a faith story. He does. He, God gives your life true meaning. So when will it be your story that, ah, by faith, I was offered, uh, like, like Moses, you refused to be called an Egyptian. You refuse it. Some people, many times, when the conversation on faith is hard, we always have it from the positive perspective. Ah, by faith, I put out my faith, and ah, ah, the Lord did it. Two billion. Sometimes, by faith, you will have to let go of two billion. Yes, by faith. That, that, is, that is, this is the offer that I've been made, but I know God doesn't want me here. And you are not letting go of it in the mindset that, ah, God will give me a bigger one later. It is enough that I've done what God wants me to do. It's enough. God wants me here, I'm going to stay there. Start writing a faith story that counts. Make your life count for something. Part of the confession we did today, we said today was, God is making a name for himself in my life. And God can only make a name for himself in your life when you submit and allow him to. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And true, the test of true consecration is not seen in convenience. 
Ah, it's sin and inconvenience, sir. When it is hard to remain consecrated, that's when we now know what your convictions are. Convictions are not tested in ease. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Uh, no. When, when they made the flip phone, the latest flip phones, the Z Flip, Z Fold, um, there's a robot that folds the phone, I think they said 10,000 times. Right? You may never fold that phone 10,000 times. But convictions are not tested in ease. Convictions are, are tested at the extreme. So if this thing can survive 10,000 folds, then it can survive. Are you with me? Then it can survive. So if your strength fails in the day of battle, then your strength was little. Make up your mind that regardless of situations, I am God's own. I belong to Jesus. Last portion of scripture and then we'll wrap this um, teaching up. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12 to 20. Great is your love poured out for all. This is our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Everybody read that first line together. One, two, go. Again, louder this time. But not all things I experience. Oh. See. Consecration hmm, goes beyond is it a sin? Do you hear what I'm saying? It is not a sin, but it is not good. Are you with me? It is not a sin. So show me where in the Bible it said we should. Eh, mm, 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 mm. That's not how we judge or we attain consecration. Let me tell you for a fact now. There's no scripture in the Bible that says you cannot kiss um, your girlfriend. Not one. For all intents and purposes, you can't prove there is a sin. But. Does it usually stop there? I'm not asking you, sir. <laughs> Will it stop there? Can you heap coals of fire and not be burnt? So, nothing is said about kissing in the Bible. But at the same time, everything is said about it. Because if this thing is going to lead to lust in my heart... If it is going to lead to fornication eventually, then I must not do it. Yes, sir. Never mind that the Bible uh, never said, uh, don't do it, or kissing is a sin. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. You know what expedient means? It's not helpful. It does not achieve what I want. It's not helping me achieve my goals. So all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. True freedom is when you can say no. If you can't say no, you are not free. Where did the Bible say that taking weed is a sin? It never said. 
But the first time you take it, not you, ma. You are now brought under the power of marijuana. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's consecration. Consecration is not, is it a sin? Consecration is, does God want it for me? Are you with me? Consecration is not, is it wrong? We've gone past, is it wrong? We've gone past, it is right or it, mm -mm, mm -mm. Consecration is, does God want it for me? If the answer is no, then it is wrong for me. It may be good for you and wrong for me. And that's okay. Are you with me? Some music artists, the Lord called you to sing gospel song. You now decide, well, I have a talent. I want to be singing secular songs. Not immoral songs. Secular songs. There's nothing wrong in singing secular songs. Again, not immoral songs. Secular songs. That is songs that have nothing to do with religion. But if that is not what God asked you to do, it is wrong for you. Are you following? That's what consecration is. There was nothing wrong about eating normal food. But for John the Baptist, it had to be locust and wild honey. Do you understand? Not rice and beans. Rice would have been fine. Beans would have been okay. But his consecration was locust and wild honey. The Nazarite was not supposed to cut his hair. Nothing was wrong with cutting hair. But the consecration for him was you don't cut your own hair. There are certain things that the Lord will give you as consecration. You must stay on them. Every other person is flexing their privileges and God says no. Hold back. I remember when I was in school. This one hurt me bad. I was a leader in school. Spiritual leader in school. All my friends who were leaders in school were holding big meetings in school on campus then. The Lord said, don't hold one big meeting. He says, rather, call a group of people, write their names down. I wrote all their names down. He said, reach out to all of them. Every Saturday from 6 a.m. till 12 noon, you are teaching in a small room. So every Saturday, I'll be teaching these people. I'll be teaching them. Saturday, every Saturday, I will show up. These others holding meetings, 300 people, 400 people, and with 15 people, 10 people, teaching them. And the Lord said, don't hold any one big meeting. I graduated school, never having held a big meeting in school. When I left school, I started pastoring. And it became clear to me why the Lord gave me that discipline. I can stand here and teach you for six hours. Many of you have seen me do it before. It became clear to me why God gave me that discipline. Because pastoring came easier to me. When you've spent six hours every weekend with a group of people, you know what's going on in their lives. It's easy for you to prefer solutions. So many things that some of you bring to me, I'm like, I've seen this before, it's not new. God trained me in that time. This is what consecration does. It trains you for the life that God wants you to live. When I was growing up, there was a time when God started training me on material things. It almost seemed like once I like it, he was able to give it out. Ah, you like that thing? Ah, it must go. I felt like God didn't want anything good for me. Say, God, I like, I like this jacket. Say, ah, you like it. Oh, yeah, wear it. This is the last time, eh? 
as they're coming back home, just drop it to this person. Almost every time. It made more sense when we started ministry. You can't be a pastor that likes material things and be in ministry. You must be ready to let go of money. Because ministry will eat your money. <laughs> we have this need, take. We have this problem, take. Say, ah, Poku, I like your heart. But there was a time I was very impatient. I was, ve- I was always hot-headed. How did God train it? I will finish typing article on Facebook, responding to somebody. The Lord will not tell me, DM the person, I apologize. I'll say, sir. He said, yeah, apologize. I said, are you sure? <laughs> say, God, he offended me. He said, yeah, apologize. So now, I am more patient when people are talking. I don't respond. I'll just be watching. When you finish talking, if I have a release in my spirit to respond, I will respond as politely as possible because I don't want to have to go back and apologize. <laughs> Consecration trains you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Ah, it trains you. It trains you. Maybe this season, God is just, he, he will put you on fasting that you can't explain to anybody. You finish fasting this one. As you are resting, ah, three days, thank you, Jesus. God says, okay, prepare, tomorrow we go again. Say, God, what, what did I do to you? <laughs> and you like food normally. Oh. <laughs> but the Lord is, is, is bringing, I. <laughs> Is bringing consecration. It will train you for the work. All things are expedient, but will not be brought under the power of any. So that everybody can do it does not mean I can do it. Do you think I don't have the resources to travel out of the country and move with my wife? My best friends stay outside the country. <laughs> One of them stays in Canada. He's saying the day you hear car like this, just hear it from God like car. I have where you will stay. It's not my... God has not sent me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. If God tells me, pick up your things now and start going to Zanfari, it's only my wife I will, con- I will consult. This is what God said, though. After you will come, Abby, you know will come. That people are doing it is not good for you. All things are lawful. Yeah, but pastor, where is the sin? That's not the conversation. You're asking the wrong question. Are we together? There are certain things that every other person is allowed to do to your parents. But you know you can't. Not because of fear, but you know, you, you know their hearts. So you know how they respond when other people do this thing. It becomes terrible if you are the one doing it. So it's not about sin or not sin. Are you with me? Verse next, please. 13. Meat for the belly and belly for meat. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. What is Paul teaching here? Appetite. If God is Lord over your life, tame your appetites. I know you are in your 20s, you are in your early 20s, late teens, early, um, maybe mid-20s. And so your hormones are raging. You want to devour the first thing in, um, of the opposite sex that you see. Sometimes it comes on you like an armed bandit. 
very demanding. Tame your appetite. You are not an animal that must do what they are feeling. And let's, there's fornication. You already, I've already spoken about it. But beyond that, other things. That need for social validation, tame it. People must like me. No, they don't have to. People don't have to like you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because, do you know that many people have problems? There are some people that if they like you, it's a red flag. That you like this person. Like, this person likes you. Ah, I can't be your friend. Though. Because there's something about you that the person likes. And I, I know this person very well. Ma, it's not you I'm talking about. People must like me. Tame that, that need for people to see you in a good light. Tame it. Can the Holy Ghost ask you to rebuke somebody? <laughs> and you just meet the person and say, with respect, but you are wrong. Say, God, I don't want to come off as confrontational. That's not a problem at all. Are you with me? Next verse. That your bodies are the member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. There is a mindset. See, my body is first and foremost. If Jesus lives in my heart, then my body is his. But not only is my body his, I am a member of his body. My actions have representation or have an effect on how people see the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. So don't just be a Christian on Sunday morning. Your actions have an effect on how people see the body of Christ every other day of the week. This is where many people can't evangelize anymore. The people you want to evangelize, they've seen you at your worst. On Sunday, you are well dressed, you look good, you come to church, we thank God. Monday evening, you dress as if material finished in the market. You speak crassly. See, I'm just being real. No, 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 no. No, you are being uncultured. You're not being real. You speak crassly. Speak anyhow. Relate with people anyhow. Crack stupid jokes. Then Sunday morning, you brush your teeth, wear your clothes, look like it, and come back. Your, your actions have an effect on the body of Christ. Yes, sir. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I spoke about this a lot on Wednesday. Every man of God, every lady that has been brought your way for discipleship is uncomfortable under your discipleship. You are always touching. You are, come on. You don't have control. So now, when they want to come and meet you for advice, they carry their friends along. Not because the friends need advice. It's for protection. They are protection. One, one of such... Let me not... Let me not. <laughs> Your actions have implication on the body of Christ. On Wednesday, I was sharing how I, I, I had an extra year in school. And so some of my roommates, not some, all my roommates were OGs. 
You know, there are OGs in school. OGs, mean guys, bad guys. They were my roommates. When we, we, we got along fine. Saved, some of them are saved, married, getting married now, saved because of our interactions. But there was something that I never... It, you know when something just hits you and you never get out of it? It was because these are the OGs. These are the guys that our church girls would typically have a crush on from afar. And so, I'm sorry, but I'm saying the truth. And so, many times, they would be telling me stories with proof of the escapades of many of my church sisters. So this sister is a head in the chapel. She's a head in the church side of the school. But her naked pictures are on so many phones. Not because they stole it, though. She gives freely. Now, now, I invite these boys to church. As, ah, my geez, let's go to church. We enter church, and the person leading prayers is Sister Freegiver. So now, <laughs> so now, they are laughing. And I'm wondering, why are you laughing? Ah, I've slept with that girl now. I was like, ah, I know, I know. <laughs> and then you, brother naive, will now be like, ah, what's going on? You are, you are now scared of evangelizing to the next one because you don't know how far the free gift has gone. <laughs> you are part of the body of Christ. Your actions have an effect on the body of Christ. For those who are workers in church, there's a saying in your handbook, your online actions have offline consequences. You can't do anyhow online, we will trace you. We will trace you. Because you are... ah! Then I say, and he goes to that church. That's the problem I have with all these young pastors. I didn't do anything. Me, as the pastor, I didn't do anything. I was on my own loving God. Somebody went online, went to go embarrass me outside. Then they will not say, that's the problem I have with all these young churches. What did I do to them? <laughs> Verse 16. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall become one flesh. 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Say, I am joined with the Lord. Therefore, I am one spirit with the Lord. Say, my actions will reflect my union and fellowship with the Lord. All right, 18. Everybody read the first two words together. One, two, go. Seller. And every sin, it says, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. So you are not just sinning against God. You are sinning against your body. Verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Verse 20. For you are bought, say, I am, bought with a price. Say it louder this time. I am, bought with a price. Hallelujah. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
So I will not just glorify God in my spirit when I'm speaking in tongues and I'm singing worship songs like we did before we started. But I will glorify God in my body because my body is God's own too. How I carry my body. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Stop. Stop making yourself into an object for lust and the satisfaction of people's sensual pleasures. So you are posting test traps. You are objectifying your body. You are objectifying yourself. Do you get what I'm saying? You are, you are objectifying yourself. It's, it's, it's a problem. We complain that society objectifies women. But many of these people objectify themselves. When you want to present, you can't put your best foot forward. It's always something sexual about yourself. You will post a picture that is not godly. And yes, there's such a thing. Let's not deceive ourselves. There's such a thing. I think part of being a decent Christian is knowing which audience will consume what. Do you hear what I'm saying? Which audience will consume what? Someone was asking me, a member of church, a couple of years ago, that pastor, is there anything wrong in me posting a picture of myself in a bikini? I said, if you saw my wife on Instagram in a bikini, what would your reaction be? Many of us would like to say, ah, no, there's nothing wrong there. Let, let's wait now. Which audience will consume what? You're going out with your closest friends. Close this thing. They know you. Okay. They can consume that content. Are you with me? Your husband will consume that content. Your wife will consume that content. But if you are going to present anything to the body of Christ or to the general public where people will discern and... Ah, ah, some things uh, you shouldn't even just post. Don't. Uh-uh. You want to snap. Let me keep quiet. You want to snap picture. Your face show. Your shoe shine. But decide that you, you decide to show the world. <laughs> to what end? To what end? You are a man. You want to snap picture. Your shirt has complete button. But no, the button was rich here. To what? Okay, we know you've been hitting the gym. What else? See, I'm not sorry if, if you're not happy with what I'm saying. Lawyer, sorry. <laughs> but repent, child. <laughs> Stop objectifying yourself. You are better than that. You are God's own. Yes, Alright? Now, this doesn't mean you can't post good-looking pictures, you know, in good-looking clothes. <laughs> Somebody said, uh, the, 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 there's a way they used to say it. Is it that the fine clothes are not the aligning? It's where you are shopping. 
It's where you are shopping. The fine clothes are not decent. Some people say it's because it's quality. You are lying, sir. You are lying. I've been on, is her name Andreyama? I've been on her side. She has very many decent clothes. If you're looking for quality, you want to spend money, go there. Many of you don't know what I'm talking about. You've never been there before. When you go home today, just search. Just do a quick search. Ah. You see clothes in the millions. <laughs> but please, in Jesus' name, since you are God's own, live like you are God's own. Steward your body like it belongs to God. All right? All right? What belongs to God? So, I'm not even saying the reason why you should be decently dressed, you know, in public is because of your husband. No, your husband is a subcategory. The main reason is your body belongs to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Ah. It belongs to God first before it belongs to your husband. Just like your husband's body belongs to God first before it belongs to you. Uh So you start with God first. So some things that your husband will approve, you say God does not approve. So it's for your consumption only as my husband, but it's not for public because God doesn't approve this consumption outside. Did you learn something this morning? Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you because our lives are changed by the word. We pray that um, as we've learned, our spirits are edified. But more than that, we would give practice to the things we have heard. In Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.